And it's good to have you guys here with us. Uh, for those of you that I don't know, my name is Morgan Butcher. Blessed to be one of the pastors here on staff at our Mill Creek campus. And uh, today you're joining us kind of at the tail end of our series titled Signs, which is walking us through the book of John. And I feel like I say this every time I get to speak, but this series has been awesome. Like, like legitimately awesome. How many of you have enjoyed this past series that we've been in? Yeah, come on. I mean, it's been phenomenal. I would really encourage you to go back uh, listen to some of those messages from Pastor Brandon and Pastor Di. They both preach just really awesome, awesome words and uh, excited to continue in that today. Um, but uh, we've been working our way through the book of John and the book of John is, is scattered with these signs, these miracles, wonders of Jesus. I don't know why I do this when I talk about signs. and but we've been working through these different signs and miracles of Jesus, and it was Jesus revealing who he was to these people. Each of these signs and wonders was Jesus revealing the fact that he was the Messiah, the, the Messiah that people had been waiting for, the Messiah that people had been uh, uh, anticipating for so many years. He was indeed the Son of God. And today you can open your Bibles to John chapter 9 as we look at this really, really funny, weird, fascinating story. Uh, we look at this story as Jesus performs another miracle, but I want to focus not just on the miracle, but on what happens following the miracle. And seeing as we have a lot of verses to cover today, I want us to walk through the story together to better understand it and to see what I think God wants to reveal to us this morning. But before we do that, would you pray with me and we'll get started. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, because it's true. And I'm constantly reminded that the same truths that you were revealing to people thousands of years ago are truths that you want to reveal to our hearts today. And so God, help us to see and hear the scripture for what it is and the truths that you want to reveal to our life. God, help us to pull back the curtains and, and let go of the strongholds in our life to hear what you have for us today. And I pray that it would change our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. When we pick up in, in uh, John chapter 9, we have to understand that Jesus has just been confronted by the Pharisees after proclaiming in front of them that he was the Son of God. And we know from the end of chapter 8 that this didn't go over very well with them. They weren't huge fans of what he was saying. Uh, and how do we know that? Well, the last verse in chapter 8 goes something like this. It says that after he proclaimed that he was the Son of God, it says that they picked up stones to throw at him. Can I just suggest that any time in your life you have people trying to throw stones at you, it's probably not going well, okay? Uh, Newsflash. Uh, but it says that they picked up stones to throw at Jesus, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. He was able to kind of slip away from that scenario. And when we pick up in chapter 9, literally the next verse in chapter 9, sometimes in Scripture, the transition from one chapter to another, the author communicates it in a way that, that kind of reveals to us that there's, there's been a, a, a chunk of time that's passed. But the transition from the last verse of chapter 8 to the first verse of chapter 9 makes it seem as though the, the author is trying to communicate that it was literally from like one thing to the next. That Jesus went from this ugly situation of people throwing stones at him to him slipping away and being in chapter 9. 
And it says that as he slipped away, uh, he, he kind of slipped away from this ugly, ugly situation and he, he almost walked unfazed, almost seemingly looking for the next thing to do. Uh, which this has nothing to do with my message, but how many of you are thankful that God's work isn't hindered by the things that would hinder me and your life, right? How many of you are thankful that, that when the things that would probably slow us down from wanting to do the next thing, it doesn't mess with Jesus, right? He's just continually looking to serve his people. He's continually looking for the next thing to do. And it says this, that as Jesus leaves the temple, he and his disciples come across this blind beggar, and we pick up in verse one of chapter nine. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his, or his parents' sins? Now, this question is really, really unique. I, I think it's, it's, it's gold because it gives us some insight into the religious thinking of the day. It was a pretty basic premise that went into religious thinking. It went something like this. If you are good, then good things will happen to you. And if you are bad, watch out, right? Like that was essentially religious thinking. It was religious ideology of the day. So, but if that is true, if that's the case, then the reverse must also be true, right? If I see something good happens to you, then I can conclude that you are doing well in your life, that you are doing well in your faith, that you are probably reading your Bible every day, that you're going to church, that you're, 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 your life is going good. And on the flip side, if I see something bad happen to you, well, you must be hiding something. There must be some evil in your life that you're covering up. You must be backsliding in your faith in some major way that I just can't see. And this way of thinking was not a new way of thinking when we get to John chapter 9. If we go back to Old Testament, we go to the book of Job, we're reminded of Job, this, this, godly, this godly man who seemingly has everything taken from him. His, his finances, his family, his wealth, everything is taken from him. And his, and his friends have kind of a similar question, a similar thinking in response to what's happening in Job's life. Their question is, simply, is essentially, what did you do wrong? Right, like what did you do to cause these bad things to happen? And, and we can see this same kind of thinking even play out not just in Old Testament, not just in John chapter 9, but today in our world as well. Can I tell you that you can turn on the TV to some uh, very righteous evangelical preacher on TV who's uh, asking you to give him money. And if you do, because you're doing a good thing, the heavens will open up for you. And you will be provided more wealth than you can ever imagine, Right? The same thinking is not just true in John chapter nine, but it's true in Job and it's true today, this, this way of thinking. And in some ways, it would be great if it were that simple, right? If I do good, I get good things. If I'm bad, I have bad things happen to me. Like, right, really, if it was that cut, dry, and simple, it would might maybe be a little more simple. But you know, maybe even better than I do, it just doesn't always work out that way. I can think of so many people in our church that I know here today, faithful, God-fearing, forgiven, redeemed people who have suffered so much. 
They've lost loved ones. They've been faced with unemployment. They're battling finances. They are dealing with disease and illness. They have family brokenness that marks their family. And oftentimes, these aren't the direct results of some sin that's hidden in our life. Sometimes they are, but more often than not, they're simply the results of us living in a broken world that Jesus himself said that in this world, you will have trouble. These aren't simple answers that the disciples are approaching Jesus with. Solomon himself mentioned this in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter, eight, uh, chapter 9. He said the fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. Isn't that true for me on the football field this year, right? The wise sometimes go hungry. The skillful are not necessarily wealthy, right? It doesn't always add up. It's not as simple as these people are trying to make it. So Jesus does not answer the question the way that the disciples were expecting. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, friends, there is a whole other sermon packed into those two verses. And so we've provided you on the Venture app, if you go to the next steps, you can find some specific teaching specifically on that portion of Scripture. And I encourage you to do so because what's in there is also gold, but we don't have enough time for it today. So he answers their question in a way that they were not expecting. And then Jesus does something. There's not very many guarantees in life, friends. But I can almost guarantee you that no one expected Jesus to do what he did next. Okay? Uh, Kami, can you, can you bring out uh, our, our uh, friend this morning? Uh, we have a, a little bit of an example for you of what Jesus did. Um, See, what Jesus did was something that uh, would have definitely caught people's attention. Uh, Very unorthodox uh, medical procedures that happened in this moment. Um, First of all, this is supposed to be a man. It it is definitely very much a woman, but we did a top knot, so it kind of helps it, okay? Um, But but, don't worry about the lipstick, okay? Okay. As rose petals from the garden or something, I don't know. Um, What Jesus does next, it says that Jesus walked over and it says that he spit in the dirt. I'm not gonna spit in this, don't worry, that's really gross. But he spit in the dirt and he made mud. And with the mud, he took it And he wiped it over the man's eyes. And then he said, hey, blind guy, go, that's not actually what it says in scripture. He said, go walk to the pool of Siloam and wash your face. And so it says that the man makes his way to the pool of Siloam and he washes his face. And it says in verse seven that the man went and washed and came back seeing. Anybody else deal with gag reflex when they read scripture? I don't know. <laughs> I read that story, I'm like, <laughs> I 
<laughs> I'm pretty sure that if this man wasn't blind, he would have backed up a little bit when Jesus spit in the dirt, right? Like, he probably didn't know what was coming. And some wonder, well, well, why spit? Like, why did Jesus have to spit in the dirt? And, and there's many scholars believe that there's something really interesting that happened here. Scholars believe that Jesus was expanding the people's faith to reveal further that he was the Messiah. He was trying to connect the dots for people. If we go back to Genesis chapter two, verse seven, when God creates man, it says that it was out of the dust of the earth that God formed a man. And it says that it was God's lips who breathed life into the man's nostrils that, that gave life to the man. And Jesus is trying to connect the dots for people. He is showing his power as creator by imitating the original creation of man from Genesis 2. He used the dust of the ground. He used the dirt. And then he used the spit from his mouth to give the man new sight. Jesus went away, told him to go wash, and the man came back seeing. You see, there's something interesting that happened here. Uh, somebody in the middle of service grabbed me and said, you know, you know what's interesting about that story, Morgan? It, it's that this guy was totally used to dirt in his life. <laughs> he was totally used to dirt. As a, as a blind beggar, you know where he spent his time? In the dirt, on the ground. People walking by, kicking dirt in his face never really knowing how dirty he was, but constantly in the midst of the dirt. But you know what? This time there was something different about the dirt. It, it, was that, it was that Jesus, from the lips of Jesus, every time something comes from the mouth of God, there is life. There's new things. There was something different about this. And Jesus wipes this mud with this spit on this man's eyes and he goes away and he comes back seeing. Friends, this is more than a medical miracle that we're seeing. This was life transformation like we can't imagine. Soon after this man was born, his, 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 this man's parents, and we'll meet them in a second, they would have been so heartbroken to learn that their son would be disabled. Because friends, there is no support for a disabled person in this time, right? There, there is no therapists. There is no beautiful golden retriever seeing eye dogs, right? There, there, is, there is no substantial government programs available. There is nothing. He would be destined to live his whole life a beggar, to just live trying to get by to the next day. And on top of all this, instead of first being met with compassion, do you know the, the way that people would have viewed him? They would have looked at him with judgment, questioning what he did or what his parents did to deserve this fate. <laughs> and the next section, as we read on, this man is healed, he can see, and the next section just made me laugh when I started to picture it. So this man has been miraculously healed, and look what it says next in verse chapter eight. It says, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar each asked, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he, he was, and others said, no, he, he, he just kind of looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. And when I was washed, I could see. Well, where is he now? They asked, well, I don't know. 
It literally sounds like a Key and Peele skit, right? It's like a Saturday Night Live, right? You just got to imagine it for a second. These people are arguing back and forth. Hey, is that the, is that the blind guy? I just saw him yesterday. He was just like laying in the dirt. He, he, that couldn't possibly be the guy. No, 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 I think that is the guy. Is that, are, are you sure? No, it could be his doppelganger. I don't know who that is. It kind of looks like him. The hair is a little messed up though. I don't, I don't really know. And the whole time, just imagine this guy is just standing there. I'm the guy. <laughs> Hello, I'm right here. Why don't, why don't you just ask me if I'm the guy? It, 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 you ever had that happen before? People are talking about you and you're standing there like, Hello, I can hear you. <laughs> and this guy is standing there, and it's a hilarious setting, but apparently this man's answer wasn't good enough for his neighbors to believe that he actually was the man that Jesus just healed. So they call in the big guns. They call in the big guns because this happened on the Sabbath. And so the fact that somebody would have stopped what they were doing and done the work of healing somebody would go against the rules of the Sabbath. And so they bring in the big guns, they bring in the Pharisees, and this is what it says in verse 13. It says, they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he says it again, he's like, well, okay, so he, he put mud over my eyes and, and I washed it away. Just imagine a blind guy trying to tell you like what happened. And, and, and I don't really know how to explain it, but then I could see, right? Some of the Pharisees says, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. And this is where I think we have to pause for a second. Look, if you don't walk away from anything that I say this morning, other than the fact that Pastor Morgan wiped mud on a mannequin's face and this one thing, that's totally fine with me. But what strikes me about this story is that for as blind as this guy was who was born unable to see, we begin to see how much worse it is to be spiritually blind. God is redefining what is worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? He is redefining. He says physical limitations. Man, if you had a physical limitation in this day and age, it was societal death sentence for you. You were nothing. You were forgotten. It was like you didn't even exist. You were like the pebbles on the ground. People would walk by you. They wouldn't know you. They wouldn't know your name. No one would pay attention to you. But it's as if God is pulling back the curtains and saying physical limitations will pale in comparison to those who suffer from spiritual limitations. It will pale in comparison to those who live with sight but live blind to the spiritual things in life. Friends, you can spend your whole life seeing the miracles of God. You can spend your whole life standing in front of a guy who has a testimony about being able to see and not see the God of the miracles. You can spend your entire life knowing all the stories of scripture, knowing all the miracles that John lays out in, in John chapter nine. You could go on missions trips and see miracles right in front of your face. You could see provision happen in your family. You could see healing happen in your family. You could be the witness and the miracle that God is providing for. You could see all the miracles of God and miss the God of the miracles. You can miss it. 
And this is exactly the way that we are to view the Pharisees in this moment. What is their main concern upon hearing that this guy is miraculously healed? It's not, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can't believe it. Praise God, you know, praise God that, that you can see. The response of the Pharisees isn't, oh, what is it like? What, what is it like to be blind your whole life and now be able to tell me about it? What, what are you feeling right now? What are you thinking? It's not who was this man who did this miracle? Who was this man who, who, who did this miraculous thing? You know what their response was? You mean to tell me that this guy did this on the Sabbath? Oh, how dare he? How, how, how dare he do something? Nobody's supposed to work. Nobody's supposed to lift a finger. No one's supposed to do something like that. How dare he? First of all, can we set a couple things straight? Jesus would never break the commandment. What he did was violate the rules about the Sabbath that the Pharisees had created. Not the laws that God made. But, but secondly, aren't we missing the point? <laughs> this guy can see <laughs> for the first time in his life. He was blind, and now the man can miraculously see. So finally, they, they ask the man what he thinks happened. And quite plainly, the man is not, not knowing completely who Jesus is, acknowledges at least the fact that this man must be from God that he met. But the Pharisees, they can't buy such a simple truth, so the Pharisees work another angle. They say, let's talk to his parents. And this, this was a strategic move on the part of the Pharisees because we already know from what John mentioned earlier in, in, in the book of John that Jews had already agreed that if anyone was to confess Jesus is Christ, that they would put, be put out of the synagogue, which meant way more than they couldn't go in a building and they couldn't worship. It would be like societal outcast. They, they, would, they would be considered shunned by their society. It was a scary thought to consider and so these parents are now brought into the middle of this situation and, and knowing what it would mean for them to stand and speak that Jesus was the Christ, he was the Messiah, they say what they know. They say, we know that this is our son, we know that he was born blind, but we don't know how we can see or who healed him. Ask him, and they say, he's old enough to speak for himself. Isn't this just getting uncomfortable? Can't you just like feel the tension? The Pharisees are just trying to get them to admit that it was Jesus. They're, they're trying to get them, this man, to condemn Jesus for what he did. And these people are like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to think, but all I know is that, man, I couldn't see, and now I see. And, and the only reason that I could ever imagine that happened would be that it would be God. And they can't, Get it? Why don't the Pharisees just let it go? Why don't they, they just be happy for the guy? Why don't they just celebrate with him? Why don't they just, just, just kind of be happy for what's happening? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus threatens them. He threatens their thoughts. He threatens their assumptions. He threatens their notions about themselves and their self-righteousness. He threatens their self-made rules. He threatens their status in society. Jesus is a threat to the Pharisees. And the hard truth is, is that Jesus tends to do this to us too. There, there comes a moment in our life where the truth of who Jesus is threatens the very life that we've been living. <laughs> it threatens the, the, the values that we've been living with. 
It threatens the decisions that we've made. It threatens the choices that we've made. It threatens the lifestyle we live. It threatens the the beliefs that we have. There comes a point in our life where we are forced to either choose to believe in the life and the comforts of ourselves or choose to believe that Jesus could actually be who he says he is. That he could actually be the miracle-working, grace-giving, all-sufficient son of God. But these Pharisees are so blinded by the life that they've created for, for themselves, the comfort that they live in, and the simple truth won't convince them. Even when faced with obvious truth, they are blinded by the truth of themselves. And as the story continues, we just see how stuck they are in their thinking. They call this formerly blind man back again. And they lean into him pretty hard and they're trying to get him to condemn Jesus and they say, God should get the glory for this, don't you think? Because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. They're thinking with their status. They're thinking once again, focusing on getting this man to condemn Jesus. Their main concern is not even on the healing. <laughs> it's not even on this miracle that just happened. It's, it's, it's all about the threat of who Jesus is to them. And this man, for all that he lacks and all the knowledge that he doesn't have, he is armed with one thing. And if I could say that there may be one thing that sets the spiritually blind free, it's this, it's truth. And with this truth, he once again speaks and he says, I I don't know whether he is a sinner, but I know this, I was blind and now I see. He says, Pharisees, you might not be concerned with my healing, but I sure am. (laughs) Try telling these eyes what I believe. Try arguing with, with what I know happened in my life. Try telling me that I don't see what I see right now. Try telling me that he didn't provide for me when I didn't know how I was gonna be provided for. Try telling me that that thing just happened by happenstance. Try telling me that that family member that I was praying for for years and years and years didn't just get healed by Jesus. Try telling me that, that when I thought everything was falling apart, that, that just miraculously everything came together. Try telling me because I, I can't argue with these eyes. I can't argue with what I'm seeing happen in my life. I can't argue with what I've just experienced. And the frustration of the Pharisees is beginning to rise. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They have no idea what they're getting into. Because this quiet, lowly beggar is quiet no more. Look at what he says to him in verse 27. He says this, he says, look, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Which is just total mic drop, right? Like, oh, shoot, that's, that's cold. It says, then they cursed him. And he said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses, which is just so ironic. It says, we know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. This is great for a couple reasons. One, because they actually think that calling this guy a follower of Christ is an insult, when it's probably the nicest thing that you could ever say about a guy who spent his entire life blind. (laughs) But second off, it shows how ignorant these people are of what Moses actually taught. 
of what Moses actually preached, of what Moses actually proclaimed. Because if they would look to the words of Moses from Old Testament, they would notice that that Moses, as well as anyone, believed that the Messiah was coming. Luke would also mention this messianic prophecy that Moses spoke in Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15. Look at what Moses said. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. And you must listen to him. And the Pharisees in their ignorance, staring the reality of who the Messiah is, revealing himself, and they stand there saying, no, we know. (laughs) We know better than you. How could this possibly happen? How could someone like you be healed? How could this man actually do this? It's impossible. And then the man responds in verse 30. He says this. (laughs) He says, why, that's very strange. He healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And having nothing to answer back with, the Pharisees cast this man away. Think about this for a second. The religious leaders throw this man out. This man who had nothing, who who just experienced a miracle upon miracles. They throw him out because he won't play their game. He won't just be quiet and go along with it. He won't just sacrifice what he knows to be true in order to keep up the Pharisees' illusion of righteousness. And and here we get to see such a drastic contrast because where the Pharisees throw this guy out, the Savior seeks him out. Where those who were blind to see what was actually happening throw him out and with disbelief of, of, of who this man is and what this man could have gone through, the Messiah goes and he seeks him out says that Jesus comes to him in verse 35 and says, when Jesus heard what happened, he found the man and he asked him a simple question. He said, do you believe in the son of man? And the man answered, who, who is he, sir? I, I want to believe in him. And Jesus says, you've seen him and he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I, I believe the man said. And he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think that they see that they are in fact blind. Jesus speaks the truth of who he is with the same lips that healed this man's sight. And this man who had nothing finds that Jesus came to give him way more than just physical sight. He came to remove the blinders from his soul to all that God wanted to give him, all that was truly good, all that was eternal, all that was perfect, all that was holy. It was so much more than him just having this physical limitation. And this man sees this truth and does the only appropriate thing that he could do in that moment. He worships God. <laughs> he says, I, God, I can't argue. How could, I, how, could I, how could I not believe? 
How can I not believe after everything that I've seen, after everything that I've been through, after, after living this life that I've been living so blind to everything in my life, not just physically, but spiritually, how could I ever not worship you? And the Pharisees watched this whole thing. And probably the greatest tragedy is that they still walk away blind. Friends, what a, what a tragedy it would be to live our whole life knowing the miracles of Jesus in Scripture. Hearing stories of, of people in our own community on a weekly basis that, that have God moving in their life. What a, what a tragedy it would be to, to, to be faced with, with, with such great immense hurdles in life and then seemingly out of nowhere have them just be taken care of. And so easily, you know what we do? We write it off and we think, oh, whew, what a relief. Oh, that, I was fortunate that that happened the way that it did. It, it's fortunate that, that that thing just happened the way that it did. It's, it's, it's so, man, I'm so thankful that, that, that this person is finally healed and out of the hospital. I'm so thankful that they don't have to deal with that thing anymore. Man, I'm, oh, just what a relief it is. And could it be that the entire time that we're staring the miracles of God in the face, we are completely missing the fact and the truth that it's the God of the miracles who's trying to speak to our hearts to say, open your eyes to who I am. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember when I was a junior in high school, and man, I was as spiritually blind as you could get. Didn't grow up in church, didn't have any church background. Man, and I remember that moment. You probably remember it too. Where, where you faced the reality of who Jesus was in your life. He took off the blinders and you were forced with the decision to see the choices and the life and the, and the direction of my life and, and, and I had to choose in that moment. And there was a decision that I was making and it wasn't about me just choosing a different direction. It was me choosing to see what was right in front of me. <laughs> what a tragedy it would be to see the miracles of God, to, to see these signs of Jesus revealing himself, to see these stories of breakthrough, to find yourself in provision that you can't explain, and yet miss the fact that it was simply the grace and the power of Jesus working in your life the whole time. The book of John is filled with these great signs of Jesus revealing himself as the Son of God, but don't miss the fact, friends, that the greatest miracle, the greatest healing that you could ever experience is seeing and knowing and following Jesus in this life and the next. The greatest miracle is not Jesus doing something for you. It's simply the ability to see him. In the words of the beggar, I was blind, but now I see. Now I can't deny it. I wanna ask you to stand with me this morning. I'm actually gonna invite some of our pastors and, and our prayer workers to come up forward here because I think that there's an opportunity to respond in a couple ways to this message. First of all, I, I'm confronted with the reality that maybe many of you in this room 
are in that point of tension in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never been to church before. Maybe you don't have church background. Maybe you don't have church history. Or maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus. And man, this morning, I just believe that God's looking some of you right in the face and he's saying, do you believe? (laughs) Do you believe that I am who I say that I am? Will you believe, will you choose to believe that I could actually be the miracle working, grace giving, all sufficient son of God in your life? Maybe you've been away from him for a long time. Maybe you had a relationship with him and and you've strayed away and, and this is the opportunity to face that conversation with him again. Do you believe? Do you believe that I am who I say I am? Are you, are you ready to take off the blinders and accept me for who that I say that I am in your life? And I also recognize that in this room, much like me, there are people here that are representing family members and loved ones and neighbors and coworkers that you are believing like nothing else that the blinders would come off of their eyes that they would see and know and experience Jesus for who he really is in their life. Man, I'll tell you right now, I have been praying and believing that truth for my family for years, and I'm believing that God is going to do it. <laughs> and maybe that, maybe that card that you filled out, your top three Easter invitation card, maybe that invitation is more than just an opportunity to come to a church and experience an Easter service. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to pray for them that they would see on Easter that they would know on Easter. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just wanna ask a simple question. Man, if that is you, if you're here this morning and you feel like God is just staring you straight in the face asking you that question, do you believe? You've never had a relationship with him or maybe you've been apart from him for a long time and this morning you are saying, God, I believe that you are who you say you are. The blinders are off. I'm choosing to see you for who you are. I'm choosing to believe that this is you. If that's you with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just raise your hand? Because I just wanna pray with you. Thank you, man, thank you, thank you, thank you. See that hand, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see that hand in the back, thank you. See that, thank you, thank you. you put your hands down. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you are standing, battling in prayer. Man, I, I just got a feeling there's somebody in here who is battling in prayer for their son to take the blinders off their life. And we're standing with you, we're standing with you, we're believing that Jesus is gonna reveal, that they are gonna know and experience and see that life. And so if that's you here and you're representing someone this morning that you're believing for, that God would just show himself to them, would you just lift up your hand so I know who we're praying for? Yeah, hands up all over this room. Come on. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask you right now, if you raised your hand for any one of those things this morning, I want you to come up front. Just step out of your seat, I want you to come forward. These people in the front are just gonna begin to to lay hands on you, pray with you, agree with you. This is your opportunity to just stand before God and fight for these people in your life. This is your opportunity to stand before God and say, Jesus, I'm choosing to believe in you this morning. And we're gonna do exactly what that blind man did. In response to our belief, we're gonna worship this morning. And so let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God that reveals your true nature to us, God. We believe in each and every one of the people that are represented up here, God, that you have a way for them, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for them, God. We call them redeemed in advance for what you're gonna do in their life. And for each and every person who raised their hand and made that decision this morning to say, I believe, God, I pray that you would set them on a new course and that you would fill them with faith this morning. In Jesus' name, let's worship.